Good morning. Come on back. Grab your chair. We're in Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, the fifth church to the church in Sardis. I, um, I love people's, there's, there just seems to be just this hunger. Um, we're going to be talking about revival today, and we prayed about revival this morning in our prayer meeting post or pre-church, and uh, and uh, I just we're going to be talking about uh, revival, but more on a personal level today. I think it's going to be really helpful. I think it's going to be really good. Um, I think God's got some good stuff to say to us today. And so let's do this. Let's pray. Let's go ahead and stand up because we're going to get ready to read out of Revelation chapter 3. It's a very short passage. It's like six verses today. So um, I thought about going through two churches today, but there's enough there to keep us keep us. Uh, Keep us going for the day. So, Lord, we just invite your presence, Lord. And we know that you're here. Um, we can sense your presence. We're two or more gathered in your name. There you are in their midst, Lord God. And so we have gathered in your name. And for no other reason, Lord, but to honor you um, in this church and then somehow in this community. And um, I'm so thankful that uh, Jeremy brought up Grace Bible today because I've been praying for them today. And uh, praying for the other churches here on the Central Coast, and because we want for them what we want for us. We want you to be lifted high, Lord, and, um, and we know that we're in this together with every Christian church on the Central Coast and around the globe, Lord God. We, we're not in this alone, and we do not want to be in this alone. So, Lord, we, we bless them, Lord. We bless your church here on the Central Coast, wherever they're meeting on Saturday nights or Sunday mornings or Sunday nights or midweek. Lord God, I know churches gather at different times, Lord. And so we're thankful, Lord. Blessings, Lord. Grace upon them, Jesus. Lord, meet their financial needs, their needs for leadership and facility, Lord. I was talking to a pastor this week who just, man, they're just bursting at the seams and they just need more space or go to a different, an additional service, Lord. I pray that you bless them, Lord. Bless them as they teach the word and point people to you, Jesus. God, watch over their lives and ministry, Lord. And uh, especially this time of year, Lord God, we've, there's a lot on our plates as a church, not, not as everybody who's involved in church, just busy during Christmas, Lord. So I pray, God, for grace, mercy, and peace, Lord, to be upon us, Lord, that we would... Continue to have the joy of the Lord within us and the peace of God, and we wouldn't let the craziness, the busyness of this season uh, hinder our joy and our peace. So, Lord, help us, we pray. Lord, as we continue to teach through this incredible book called The Revelation, I pray that we would have ears to hear, Lord, and that we would be teachable and humble, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We, we just need you to do wonderful and supernatural things continually, constantly, Lord. We, we just, we, we want to get out of the way and just let you do your thing, Lord. And so help us to do so, we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Go stay standing because we're going to read Revelation chapter 3. Um, did I trick you? Hey, Howard, you got to stand. <laughs> Howard, you, tell your, you got to stand up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Howard and I have been friends for, I don't know, 30 plus years or so. So um, I, I heard a great story. Uh, I actually got a text about it this morning and then talked to a friend this morning, Greg, and a uh, young man who, well, young, I, everybody's young to me, I guess, but he's a younger guy. He's a man. Anyway, he, he came to church a few months ago and um, 
had been away from the Lord for a very long time, kind of been running from the Lord. Anybody ever? I've, I've been there. Anyway, and uh, he just he felt the Lord just calling him into this place, into church. Uh, he'd been across the street at Lightning Joe's doing some guitar work or something, and he just, anyway, so some time goes by and he decides he's going to come into church and comes into church and the message, of course, this is what God does. He uses whoever's speaking, he uses a donkey, right? So I've, that's me. And so he uses whoever's speaking to bring whatever message he needs to us to, that we might know Jesus, that we might get saved. And, and so this guy gets saved that day, day. He comes up and talks to me after service and we pray. And, and then just yesterday, this group of radical dudes in our church, they're always taking guys down to baptize them at the end of Grand Avenue. And uh, so they're at it again. And uh, <laughs> I find out after the fact, because I, I, don't, I don't need to know. I just, I like to be in the loop eventually. But uh, so they, these guys took, uh, took uh, Ross down to the end of Grand Avenue and baptized him. And <sighs> that's a beautiful thing. That's a beautiful thing, yeah. And um, so when we realize what we're here on the earth to do to help people follow Jesus and uh, we get to baptize people and uh, as they publicly declare, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Man, if you haven't done it yet, ask the Lord for an opportunity. (laughs) Like, Lord, please do this. Ask the Lord to give someone into your life that you can baptize or lead to Jesus or pray for somehow impact, um, impacting their lives in a, in a supernatural kingdom way. God will honor that kind of prayer. He's not going to say, oh no, I'm going to let somebody else do that. If you're asking, he's going to let you do that. It's because he just wants you a part of what he's doing. So anyway, I, I'm so, so stoked about that kind of stuff. Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, to the church in Sardis and to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember, remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You may be seated. don't usually have my phone up here, but I'm getting a text message here. Let me see. <laughs> serious? No, real, real. I'm, no, seriously. Um, it's from uh, Pastor John Sparrow. And uh, just responding. 
I'm not responding. He's responding. I, I texted these guys this morning. Love you guys. Believing for an impactful day that adds momentum to all our churches. Can you hold on to this for me? I probably shouldn't be getting text messages <laughs> while I'm trying to preach, but it was a good one, yeah. I titled this message today, It's Time for Revival. And, uh, you know, we, as we prayed this morning for revival, and people have been praying for a very long time for revival, and we've seen it in the, uh, the history of our nation, the history of our world over the hundreds and hundreds of years, we've seen revival happen. And we, we don't know when God is going to do that. We don't know when God's going to bring a citywide or statewide or worldwide revival. We have no idea when that's coming, but we can pray into that. Uh, and I don't know uh, other than prayer that we can have a, you know, much of a, an impact on the timing. I, I know God works through prayer and all that sort of thing, but I think God brings those things in his good timing. So I don't know when that's going to happen. I'm believing it's going to happen, and lots of people are believing that's going to happen. But what I, what, I, what I think we do have some control over is our personal revival. I think we've got to say about that. Um, because I think personal revival is directly connected to just the way that we live our lives. And um, I, I've been having a bit of a personal revival in my own life these last few weeks where I just feel, um, for, for whatever reason, I just feel closer to the Lord than I have in a long, long time. And uh, I'm so grateful for that, you know, um, we need that in our, I mean, we can be steady and faithful and steadfast, but there's something powerful that happens when we just begin to experience uh, something that uh, just refreshes us. Anybody need to be refreshed in the spirit? I mean, like we need that from time to time, right? I mean, it's, it's okay. And God calls us to be faithful no, no matter what's going on, but man, I, I, I'm good with that. And I'll be, you know, by God's grace, we'll be good. But I, I like the refreshing as well. And, uh, I think God has that opportunity before us today. And as we study this, these very brief, this very brief chapter uh, or passage of Scripture in chapter 3, these six verses, um, we're going to kind of get some clues as to what that might look like. So I wrote, personal revival will come when a few things happen. Personal revival will happen when we decide to listen to Jesus. At the end of every letter, what is it? What Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, right? <laughs> right? So I think that's um, the heart of God for us every time we open up the scripture. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. That's his desire. So I think personal revival will come when we decide, I'm going to listen to Jesus. Number one, I'm going to listen to Jesus. And from this text, we get the next couple points also. Uh, number two, I'm going to do good works from a pure heart. Because we, we can see as we read these letters, and this church gets no, condem or co no commendation, lots of maybe condemnation, but no commendation. They don't get like, like a pat on the back, other than the few that have not soiled their garments. There's a few, but for the most part, Jesus is pretty hard on this church for their good because he loves them. And we'll see that as that unpacks. But 
listen to Jesus and do good works from a pure heart. And then number three, start living again. Start living again through remembrance and repentance. So those are the three points for the message today. We'll see those as we continue. But um, I, I think, in fact, remember that guy uh, from the men's warehouse? You'll like how you look. I guarantee it. Remember that guy? I don't know what happened to that guy, but so I always like the way he said, I guarantee it, right? So as I preach today <laughs> and as we listen and internalize and apply ourselves to these three things, I, I guarantee you will experience personal revival. Your, your life will be changed. It, it's, it's just too obvious in Scripture, too obvious all throughout Scripture of the Old and the New Testament, that if we will do these things, we will be revived in Jesus' name. Yippee. Yeah. <laughs> Revelation 3.1, and to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Again, so in every opening for every letter, all seven letters uh, in the opening portion of each letter, a description of Jesus is given. And we see that description in chapter 1. And then with each letter, a portion of that description in chapter 1 is reiterated in chapters 2 and 3 as we teach through these letters to the seven churches. So the passage, this passage highlights the seven spirits and the seven stars. The seven spirits are clearly a reference to Jesus that we read prophetically about in Isaiah chapter 11, verses one, two, three, uh, verses one and two. It says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And so the seven spirits or seven characteristics listed here speak to the nature and character of Jesus. Remember, at his baptism, the Spirit of the Lord descended on him and rested on him. Mark 1, 9 through 11. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. If you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus and you have not been baptized yet, let's get it done. <laughs> like, we'll baptize you this week. If you're a follower of Jesus, you need to get baptized. Following Jesus' example, and his instruction to us. And when he came out of the water, when Jesus came out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. So Jesus is God and the spirit of God rests on him. As God, Jesus has all of the characteristics of God, wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. As God, Jesus has all of the characteristics of God and all of the power of God. He also has the seven stars, and we know from our study that the seven stars represent the seven angels of the churches. So Christ is the head of the church and therefore controls the angels of the seven churches. God is in charge. He has all of the characteristics and power of God because he indeed is God. <laughs> it's time for a revival, and we need 
to heed the words of Christ for that revival. Personal revival will happen when we decide to, number one, listen to Jesus. Jesus writes these letters to the churches for their good, for their edification, for their exhortation and correction. He desires the very best for them. He desires their revival. And so he speaks. He speaks in these letters that we're studying here in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, but he speaks through the full counsel of God's word. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. He desires the best for us, for you and for me, and so he speaks. And in this context, he's writing letters to these churches. Then it applies to the church in Sardis then, but it applies to us in the church now, in the 21st century. Every letter that is written, all seven letters have consequence and message and wisdom for us today in the 21st century. Jesus desires the very best for you. I was talking to a brother, a friend in the Lord, a brother in the Lord recently, and he was trying to figure out how to give instruction to his daughter. He's got an adult daughter, and he's trying to figure out how to help her. I said, listen, you need to speak the truth to her in love because as the spiritual leader of your family, she is counting on you to tell her the truth. You need to speak it in love, but you need to speak it. You you are the spiritual leader of your home, and you have a responsibility to speak the truth to her. And she may not like it right now, But she'll remember that you loved her enough and cared about her enough to speak the truth to her. And you will help her navigate and miss the landmines of this life if you will just speak wisdom to her from the word and from the spirits. This is what essentially what Jesus is doing. He's our good shepherd. He's watching over our lives and he's speaking truth to us. He has given us his word so that we might be complete equipped for every good work. In Revelation 1, John declares truth about Jesus and his heart for people. So it's helpful for us to know the heart of Jesus. In Revelation 1, verses 5 through 7, 5b, the second part of verse 5, it says, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Jesus loves us and he has freed us from our sins by his blood. This is the heart of Jesus to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom. He's made us a part of his kingdom, priest to his God and father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, verse seven, he is coming with the clouds. He is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so, amen. So Jesus is for us, and he is coming back to get us. He is for us, and he is coming back to get us, and he wants us to be revived and to be ready. Are you ready? He wants us revived and ready. We will stay ready if we stay revived. The two kind of go hand in hand. So let's stay revived so that we indeed stay ready, to get people ready revived and ready, he wrote letters. He wrote letters to the church so that we might know his heart and his will and his plan. 
personal revival will happen when we decide to listen, (laughs) when we decide to listen to Jesus, number one, and number two, when we decide to do good works from a pure heart. Back to Revelation 3, one, I know your works, I know your works. So the omniscience, all-knowing God with all-seeing eyes. We talked about his eyes like flames of fire. He's got this, these, this piercing ability to know, this supernatural ability to know. He says, I know your works. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. No, those are harsh words that Jesus speaks to this church. These are harsh words that Jesus speaks to his church. Maybe, maybe you know people like that. Maybe you feel like you're that person. Like you've got, you're doing all of the right stuff, but you just feel spiritually dead. Maybe you know people like this church in Sardis. They call themselves Christians. They go to church because they. It says they have a reputation for being alive but they are dead. And so it appears from all external evaluation that these people are alive and that they have good works, that they've got works that indicate that they're alive in Jesus, that they, that they are indeed born again believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. They call themselves Christians. They go to church. They serve. They're busy with good works. They look like Christians on the outside, but there's no real spiritual fruit from their lives. This is essentially what Jesus is seeing in this church. He's saying all kinds of activity and busyness, and they have a reputation for being alive because all the, to all the onlookers, they, they look like they're very much alive. Like that church is very busy, <laughs> doing a lot of good stuff. They look very much like they're alive, but Jesus, knowing their works, their heart, knowing who they are, he says, you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Real Christians exemplify Christ because they are filled with the Spirit of God. And real Christians just don't have a reputation for being alive, but they're alive. Why? They, they have a reputation for being alive because they are alive. That, that's, the, that's what real Christianity is all about. That's what Jesus has called us to. He hasn't, he hasn't called us to busyness, <laughs> to activity void of him. Busyness void of him. He's called us to life in him where we're doing our good works from a good heart. Uh, Not because we're under compulsion to do good works. Not because we're trying to impress people with our good works. Not because we're trying to impress God with our good works. But because, man, we just love Jesus and we want to, out of that love for Jesus, just want to bless and serve others. What does it look like when someone is spiritually alive? Well, their lives are marked by love. Their lives are marked by joy. When a person is spiritually alive, their lives are marked and known for stuff, love and joy. We get this list from Galatians 5. Their lives are marked by peace and patience and kindness and goodness, by faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. This church, it seems, according to Jesus, was going through the motions, but they were spiritually dead. They were clinically dead. They were, they were gone. Clinical death is the medical term for cessation of blood circulation and breathing. The two 
criteria necessary to sustain the lives of human beings and of many other organisms. It occurs when the heart stops beating in a regular rhythm, a condition called cardiac arrest. The church was in cardiac arrest and they didn't even know it. The church was in cardiac arrest and they didn't even know it. Their heart stopped working. I've heard people who've been in doctor's appointments for checkups and they do blood work or EKG, however they test it, but they're like, I've heard people say, oh, the doctor told me that I had a heart attack three months ago and I didn't even know it. So there, there can be things happening in us that we're not even aware of. This church was in cardiac arrest and they had no idea. They were dead, dying, and they didn't know it. The fruit of the Spirit mentioned earlier, the evidence of life actually requires a functioning heart. <laughs> this is why we got to guard our hearts against the world, against the sin, against the, the world, the flesh, and the devil. We have to guard our heart because honoring the Lord, serving God with a pure heart, doing works from a pure heart requires a functioning heart. That means we cannot harden our heart and expect to function properly as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We absolutely must keep a tender heart. And so that means that we absolutely must continue to love people and pray for people. I, I was on my property yesterday and I saw my neighbor and we were at odds uh, for different reasons and, and I saw him struggling and in the, dark, in the darkness of my heart, I shared this with my wife, in the darkness of my heart, I thought maybe it's just time for Jack to die. I'm like, holy cow, that's, that shows my heart. So I'm like, Lord, forgive me for that. And I changed my mind because I, I saw something of darkness and, and hardening in my heart concerning my, my neighbor, who I've known for 30 years. We've been neighbors for 30, about 30 years. And I said, Lord, God, forgive, forgive that. I, I don't want that. I want... I want my neighbor to know you, Jesus, to know new life in you and to experience new life in you and to spend eternity with you. And so I, I had something in my heart revealed. And, uh, and I, I think when we get something of our heart revealed and it's not pretty, we need to repent. We need to, we need to make sure that we purify our hearts. That's the only way, purifying, just intentionally purifying our hearts. It's the only thing that's going to keep our heart tender. It's the only thing that's going to keep our heart soft. Because listen, what is required is a tender heart to be used by God. It requires a functioning heart. If your heart is not alive in Christ, you may be going through the motions, and others may not be able to tell, but God knows. Remember, he's got that omniscient ability, that all-seeing all, all eye, the ability to know exactly the condition of your heart in spite of what the externals show. If your heart is not alive in Christ, you may be going through the motions and others might not be able to tell, but God knows. And along with the church in Sardis, God is trying to awaken you to your reality. 
So what do we know about the city and the culture of Sardis? It's important for us to know kind of what's going on in the city and the culture of this ancient city. Because culture and what's going on around us in our city, it impacts us. We're actually meant to impact the culture with Jesus, but sometimes we're impacted by our culture in a, in a harsh and negative way. Sardis was about 30 miles south of Thyatira. It enjoyed prominence as a commercially prosperous and militarily strategic city throughout its history. The city's topography was notable for the Acropolis, the Temple of Artemis, and the Necropolis. The Acropolis rose about 800 feet above the north section of Sardis and was virtually impregnable because of its nearby or nearly vertical rock walls, except on the south side. It became a refuge for the inhabitants in time of siege. In fact, only twice in the history of Sardis in the 6th century and the 4th centuries BC due to a lack of vigilance. Only twice in their history due to a lack of vigilance was its fortress ever captured, though attacks on it were frequent. So the parallel with the church's lack of vigilance or wakefulness and its dire situation is striking. Their temple to the Greek goddess Artemis, the goddess of hunting and nature and chastity, equaled in size the famous temple of Artemis in Ephesus, though it was never finished. So they worshipped and put their hope in false gods. They wanted to build a temple to the emperor as well, but they were denied their request. Their, their focus was on false gods and human leadership. Their impressive necropolis or cemetery of a thousand hills was so named because of the hundreds of burial mounds visible on the skyline seven miles from Sardis. And so this dead church was in a town known for its impressive cemetery. Through a lack of vigilance and wakefulness, the church of Sardis was sucked into the culture. And instead of being faithful to the one true God, Jesus the Lord, they were duped into idol worship and putting their hope in false gods. Easy to do, I would say, in our culture. Putting our hope in the wrong thing. This church who had died looked just like the city who was known for its impressive cemetery. Godless cultures became the authority in this church, and instead of the church changing the culture, the culture changed and the culture killed the church. The luxurious living of the Sardians led to moral decadence. Sardis was a city of peace, but not the peace won through battle, but the peace of lethargy and past dreams. They had died, and so they had a level of peace because they just stopped fighting. The church stopped fighting and just allowed themselves to get sucked into the culture. It's easier just to go along with the culture. It's easier just to stop fighting the culture and just get swept away with it. If, if, if your heart's not right, it's easier and you're, you will just sleep well at night because you're not anxious about what the culture and the world is doing. If your heart's not right, you'll just 
blindly go along with it. But if you know anything about Jesus, they crucified him and killed his followers because they refused to go along with the culture. So they had a spiritual peace knowing that they were doing what God had called them to do, but there was nothing of peace in their lives other than that still small voice that gave them peace and comfort and the knowledge that this, is, this was not their home. And they weren't living for this life, but for the life that would come. And so I remember talking with somebody years ago, and I've shared this story a number of times because it was such a telling story, but I remember sitting with this couple who um, were frustrated and disillusioned with their faith, and the wife said, I just, I just want things to be easy. I just want to be peaceful. I, I don't want there to be a battle anymore. And I get it. It would be easier, but it's never been. You look down through church history, it's never been our lot in life. My son reminded me recently, he said, in the beginning, the word Christian was spoken with disdain. Oh, they're Christians. And then somewhere along the way, it became kind of a popular thing and kind of an in vogue thing. Oh, you're a Christian, me too. Now, those Christians, that's how the world speaks of us now. Those Christians, disdain, disgust, dislike, hatred. Oh, you're one of those. Ah, you're a Christian. <laughs> That's the reality. So it's come full circle. In the beginning, disdain. We're back there again. Disdain. So don't be surprised that you're in a battle because you are in a battle. But we wrestle not against flesh and blood enemies. It's a spiritual battle. And if we keep our hearts right, we can fight it properly with faith, with with joy, with peace, with the confidence that God will see us through. So this church in Sardis reflected the history of the city. Once it had been, once it had a name for spiritual achievement or had been known for spiritual achievement, but now it was lifeless. It was lifeless. The city of Sardis was fortified, safe, beautiful, wealthy, and very worldly and spiritually corrupt. It looked good on the outside, but was rotten through and through. The church in Sardis looked a lot like the city. The church of Sardis was probably beautiful and wealthy and was for sure very worldly and spiritually corrupt. I walked into a church years ago, and the church looked great. I mean, it was maintained, and it was very pretty architecturally so and it, the grounds were kept and I remember walking into the church and as soon as I stepped in I just felt like this place is dark like it looked good on the outside walking in you would expect to feel oh you know like angels singing but it was anything but that it was it was dark and I, I know feelings are subjective and I could be wrong about that church and I hope I am but Jesus isn't wrong about this church, this church of Sardis. 
He told them in verse two, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. So he's asking them, trying to revive them in Jesus' name. I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Back to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Again, it says, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. (laughs) That's why God has given us his word. So we might be complete, equipped for every good work. These people had abandoned the instructions of God, God's word, and they became just like the godless world around them. And so Jesus gives them a remedy for their condition. Remember, verse 3 says, remember then what you received and heard. Go back, revisit, remember what you received and heard, keep it, and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know what hour I will come against you. A couple times in the New Testament, there's that language. Jesus will come like a thief. Second Thessalonians 5.2 says, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So Jesus is talking about his second coming, his second advent. He's helping him to remember that I'm coming back and with me my kingdom and my judgments. First Thessalonians 5:3 while people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not Escape. Personal revival will happen when we decide to do three things. When we, number one, decide to listen to Jesus. And number two, when we decide to do good works from a pure heart. And number three, when we decide to start living again through remembrance and repentance. Some of us have been believers for a long time and we forget what Jesus rescued us out of, saved us from. We need to remember and begin to live out of that remembrance and then from that remembrance and through this life have a lifestyle of repentance, brokenness, and contrition. That is the only way that your heart will remain soft and pure and humble before the Lord is if you continue to repent, continue to remember who Jesus uh, is and what he saved you out of and what he's called you to do. Part of the remedy for their condition was remember. Jesus told them to remember Remember that his return is imminent. Remember what I saved you out of. Remember who you are and remember whose you are. Remember and don't lose sight of who you are and whose you are. God has bought you with a price. 1 John 2, 28 says, and now little children abide in him so that when he appears at his second coming, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Why would we shrink from him in shame at his coming? We would shrink from him in shame at his coming if our lives are not right, if we're involved in something that we should not be involved in. When I was in Bible college in this uh, school in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, they put the fear of God into us and they said, 
if you are in a movie theater, when Jesus returns, you will be left behind. <laughs> I mean, they put like the fear of whatever they could put into you. I remember they would tell this story. They'd say, this was a new, new student orientation. They said, hey, last year, the Lord told us about this, these two students who had checked into a motel and we went and knocked on their door and we busted them. We're like, does Jesus do that? What they were saying is, hey, we're watching you. <laughs> do not step out of line. And they literally put the fear of God into us. And so I had this corrupt friend of mine. And uh, I hope he's, maybe he's watching today. His name is Chip or Ward. I love that guy. But Ward said, hey, let's go to a movie. There's this cool movie out. I'm like, we can't go to a movie you guys remember Ward, Chip? <laughs> that dude was troubling. He was called One-Eyed Ward because as a kid, he shot his eye out with a BB gun. And we would come over, he came over to our house for, I'm digressing, but I don't care. When he came over to our house and we had pizza and my kids are little, still traumatized. My kids are little. Ward, One-Eyed Ward pulls out his fake eye, his glass eye and puts it right in the middle of the pizza. <laughs> traumatizing my kids, but he thinks it's the funniest thing in the world. Because so it's this guy. Now you know what I'm talking about. This corrupt guy. This this, this guy. We were roommates and ministry partner. Anyway, he's like, we got to go to this, see this movie. I'm so scared to go see this movie. But he borrows our mutual friend's Volkswagen. We climb into this Volkswagen bug and we go like to the town over. Right? I don't remember what movie it was. I just remember I was scared the whole time. <laughs> like we are in so much trouble. If we get caught by the school, we're out. If Jesus comes back, we're left behind. This is not a good idea. We were scared to death. <laughs> All that to say, there's something to having a fear of the Lord, a healthy fear of the Lord that keeps us in check, keeps our lives in check. Like, man, I don't want to be doing the wrong thing when Jesus shows up. Remember that Jesus is coming back and we must occupy until he comes. And as we wrap, up, wrap, wrap kind of things up quickly here, back to Revelation chapter three, verse four, yet you have still a few names. Jesus said, there's a few. This is their only slight commendation. You have a, still name, a, few, you, you have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments and they will walk with me in white for they are worthy. So it's possible. <laughs> Even in a corrupt culture, we need to remember, especially in a corrupt culture, it's possible because even in Sardis, there was a remnant. There were those who had not soiled their garments. Verse five, the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Man, that's, I, I can't wait for that day when I hear Jesus confess my name before the Father, Matthew 10, 32 and 33. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father. That's good news. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny it before my Father who is in heaven. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This thing that we do called Christianity it's serious, and it needs to be our priority because everything else is secondary and everything else follows after that. We will all stand before the Lord and give an account for our lives, the way that we've lived our lives here on the earth. Your Christianity, your faith, your decision to follow Jesus, it's 
the most important thing above all other things. And so if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything else will be added unto you. To you. If you want personal revival, listen to Jesus. Do good works from a pure heart. Start living again through remembrance and repentance. With that, let's go ahead and stand. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you love us enough to cause us to think soberly about your truth, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you wrote these letters to the seven churches then, and you write, you have written them to us now. And so, Lord, we want to have ears to hear. And so, God, I pray, God, that you would check my ears for anything that's blocking good hearing, Lord, in Jesus' name. Lord, check our ears and help us to listen, keeping our hearts right, doing good works from a pure heart, living, God, with remembrance and repentance in Jesus' name. We love you, Lord. Thank you that you love us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's worship.